Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and miss, who are my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Loved ones, I urge Euodia and I urge Sintichi to come to an agreement in the Lord. Yes, and also I'm asking you, loyal friend, to help those women who have struggled together with me in the ministry of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the scroll of life. Be glad in the Lord always. Again I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, guys, uh, have you been looking forward to uh, Father's Day? Maybe some of you came this morning not even uh, realizing what the day was. Well, I was thinking about it because, of course, I was engaged in the worship planning. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you to all the dads who have cared and loved and given. And also, I've been reflecting. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to thank you. Many of you have been praying for our son, Matthew, his wife, Anna Lee, and our three youngest grandchildren, Porter, Wilder, and Liliana, because they were leaving the little town where we live in Kentucky and where all of their, or most of their cousins live. All of our nine grandkids have lived there for five years. And uh, because of just a great job opportunity for my daughter-in-law, Anna Lee, they're moving not a long ways away, but you don't drive over for the afternoon to Asheville, North Carolina. So this is their picture last summer. And you can imagine that we have really enjoyed having them within about a mile of our home. Well, we got a, we got a picture, uh, texted a picture to us just yesterday of a North Carolina sunset. So we know they're there. It was actually during the day Wednesday that Matt and I visited on the phone for about maybe 20, 25 minutes, something like that, as he was driving their first U-Haul truck from near Lexington, Kentucky to Asheville, near Asheville, North Carolina. And the rest of the family, along with Annalise's parents, came the next day. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you and actually, this whole time has made me uh, thankful to the Lord again for the way God has put us together in families. Um, 
in, in terms of, of my dad and my father-in-law, um, now gone to be with the Lord, with my parents, but I owe so much to Paul Upple because of what he invested in Sylvia. Well, here's another picture. I wanted to show this to you the first week we were here, but sometime it didn't happen. So if you see Matt and Anna Lee Porter Wilder and Liliana, you need to see the rest of our clan because also that makes me realize again how good God is putting us together in families. Far left, that's her daughter Michelle. She goes by Shelly. And the next uh, five people are her clan, her husband Dave and Ian, Isaac, Esther, and Abraham. Uh, Abraham is actually the youngest in their family, though all of the boys are tall and Esther's not short. Next, of course, Sylvia and me, and then those three little ones, of course, uh, Liliana. I, oh, this was Christmas time. She brought her bag with her for that day, Matt and Anna Lee behind them, and then Shelley's twin sister, Melissa, next with her husband, Jason, their kids, Jana and Luke. Uh, Melissa and uh, Michelle are twins, but as you can see, although when we were born, they were born, we were afraid we might not be able to tell them apart if ever they got mixed up on the, at the beginning. Now they look quite different. Now what this brings to my mind is how much I have to be grateful for the way God puts us together in families and how he uses these relationships in order to glorify himself and not just not just actual biological dads but you know my dad some of you have heard me tell the story grew up in a home where his father abandoned the family and his stepfather didn't want him there. He only let his mom keep one of the two boys, and his brother Dick was younger, um, where apparently his stepfather didn't want him. But somehow he found father-like um, mentors and relationships. So God does this in so many, many, many ways. His desire is that we'd all grow up to know what a family can be. Uh, and I thought about that in terms of today and Father's Day. You know, we're all not fathers. All, of, all the guys aren't fathers. But we all can have a father relationship in investing in younger persons. And all of us have not had good dads. But God has a way of, of giving us opportunities to be the beginning. My dad used to uh, brag um, about how big his little clan was becoming. And when it, you know, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and I think great-grandchildren, when it went over 100, we had to put together, you know, one of these uh, picture books so we could all keep track, and they could keep track, of who is who. God knows what he's doing. And that really takes me to the text for this morning. Those of you who have been with us know that during these weeks we've taken five great affirmations from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Statements 
that Paul makes about how God reacts in life. Sort of they're like Paul's reality check for the Philippian church. And the fourth of those we look at this morning. And it is this powerful statement. Verse 7, chapter 4 of Philippians, where Paul says, I mean, this is a statement of fact. We may not be enjoying it as followers of Christ as much as we could, but this is a statement of fact. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And many of you know that where Paul uses the word which we translate peace, he wasn't just talking about the fact that you weren't fighting with your spouse or a neighbor or somebody at work. He was describing a kind of ultimate health in life, a kind of health that touches you physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally. It, I think it was part of Paul's way of trying to communicate to his readers the same thing that Christ was talking about when he said in his disciples, to his disciples, and we found, find it recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I am come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly, life to the full. Paul is trying to help these Philippian Christians who he, he really likes. You notice the terminology he uses for them how rich their relationship is in Jesus Christ so that no matter what is going on around us, there is a kind of stability that we can find in Jesus Christ. Now, the Pew Bible that we use, the a common English Bible, translates that uh, verse 7 and God will keep you safe, which is a wonderful translation. I, however, still prefer what the NIV does. I think maybe even the KJV, many of the translations where it says, and my God will guard your hearts and minds. Because the word there translated, keep you safe, or guard, is really a military word. Um, I'm imagining Paul in prison as he writes this letter. And we're told that some of the time, at least, he was chained between two Roman guards. And I'm imagining him thinking, what would it be like if rather being guarded so I don't escape, I'm being guarded so that I'm safe in every way? In fact, many commentators believe, because of some of the other things that Paul speaks about in this book, that there had been a kind of revival, a kind of movement of God's spirit uh, among the most elite of the Roman guards, the Praetorian Guard. And I can also imagine, we don't know for sure that this was the case, but I can imagine that the two guys who were on either side of Paul, if that's the way he was, not only were, um, you know, chained he was chained to them, but they were chained to him. And maybe because of what they had heard, 
him talk about and preach or teach the people that might come visit him. They also were believers. But that's the picture that wherever we are in life, not just the places we'd like to be, but wherever we are in life, this peace, this abundant life, this total well-being is actually what is, what is surrounding us and keeping us safe. Now, the question that I bring to the text is, if that's the case, why is it that so often Christians might not really sense the reality of this? I mean, we know we live in a fallen world, and there are all kinds of dangers, but this, this peace, this protection promised to the Philippians I believe was not just promised to them, but it, it was promised because Paul meant to write to more than just them. This was promised to those who had followed Jesus. Paul, as he talks about all this, gives us at least some hints. I wouldn't call it a protocol. It certainly isn't magic, but gives us some hints as to how we can embrace this peace, how it can become part of us in our everyday life. One of the other interesting things about this text to me is that in the first four verses, Paul three times uses the phrase, in the Lord. So in verse uh, number one, it's be steadfast in the Lord. And then in verse two, it's be of the same mind, or, or find an agreement in the Lord. And then in verse 4, it's rejoice in the Lord. Perhaps part of what Paul was doing was saying, again, this is all about Jesus. Everything that you desperately want in life that's truly good, it's all about Jesus. It's all found in the Lord. And so he says, stand or be steadfast in the Lord. I can't help but uh, think of some of what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember that? Where he says, put on the full armor of God. And then he describes all the different pieces that a Roman soldier at that time might put on. And then he says, when you've done it all, stand. I've often been fascinated by that text, because when it comes right down to it, he doesn't say, go on the offensive, defeat the devil. He says, stand. It's almost like if we have the armor of God on us, really what we need to do is stand, because the evil one is so weak in comparison to the believer who's fully armed that he's not going to be bothering that person as much. I mean, it's a little bit like one country having an overwhelming military force. Simply having that overwhelming military force means most other countries aren't going to even pay any attention to them. And if they want to say, 
take over another country or do something they shouldn't do internationally, it's going to be in another direction. I think that's a lot of what goes on with the evil one. I mean, he doesn't have unlimited power. He does have power, but he doesn't have unlimited power. Like, why would he mess with you if you're fully armed when there are so many other people who are, you know, almost totally undefended. So Paul says, first of all, be ready to stand in the Lord. And then secondly, he said, um, come to an agreement or come to the same, or be mind, have the same mind. Some of the translations even say, agree in the Lord. And uh, when you translate it that way, you start to begin to think, oh, what does that mean? Because frankly, when it comes to most issues in life, though we may agree sort of in general with a lot of other people, if you get right down to the particulars and you talk about the situations, chances are we disagree about something. In fact, I'm even fascinated when we when we receive people into membership in the Free Methodist Church, um, we don't say, do you agree with the Articles of Religion? We say, do you accept them? Because, I mean, if we had enough discussion about enough things about the way we live, we probably, every one of us, would have a little, little, little bit different take on it. When we accept something, we say, that is generally the way I look at it, and if there's any difference, I'm not going to make a big problem over it. So Paul, I don't think, really thought these two people, Yodia and Sintiki, were going to totally agree, but he wanted them to come to the same mind in the Lord. What does that mean? Or he wanted them to come to agreement. It's another way that it's described. I wonder if part of what Paul was trying to say to these, uh, uh, they were women. The best commentators say, even though men can disagree in the church, we've all seen that, and men and women can disagree with each other, but it's the feminine form of the name. Uh, he, he wanted them, perhaps we could say he wanted them to genuinely listen to one another. Um, again, I mean, there's so many issues, nationally, internationally. We can have so much disagreement about such things, but if we genuinely listen to one another sympathetically, that may communicate to the other person that agreement is not the only important thing. I am thankful that this is uh, Juneteenth. Um, I am so thankful that we as a culture are, are, f are more generally agreeing that it's not easy to totally and genuinely uh, make a place for people that, that are different than we are. You know, I grew up in a time in a church that celebrated abolition, you know, the Free Methodist Church. Um, Camille already referred to it. I mean, part of the reason we're a denomination 
is our earliest founders were abolitionists. And this was a big enough thing for them. Some of us believe that we became a serious problem to the rest of the church that was trying to kind of hold the North and South in the Methodist Church together. And so it was easier to throw out a few of us uh, than, to, uh, than, than to have to face that. I mean, abolition is so important. Is when I grew up, I, was, I celebrated that, that I'm part of a church that believes in that. But I also grew up in a time where I sort of assumed that uh, the people of the African-American uh, lineage really had all of the rights and opportunities of, of people that are, are white. And no one ever talked to me about the Jim Crow laws or some of the other ways, redlining, that we have so seriously marginalized and put certain persons in a place where they don't have the same kind of opportunity. Um, so, you know, for the church today to say, there are so many issues that we can disagree about, but always we can listen to each other and, and our stance is going to be to go toward the powerless. That's, that's part of what was happening with the early Free Methodists, because the, 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 the slaves were the powerless. And even after Emancipation Proclamation, still some of our leaders began ministries, especially to the, to the people who had been slaves or, or were the freed slaves at that time. So the point in all of the, the cultural issues we work on, as well as all of the theological issues may, we may struggle with, can we genuinely listen to one another? Can we find that place? We find what we can agree on, then we go from there. But Paul is saying, I mean, it works into this, doesn't it? It's part of Paul's a sort of hymn toward joy. Paul's saying, stand, because in the worst of life, that's what will drive the devil away with the full armor of God. Listen to one another, you Odeansantiki. And then he says in verse 4, be glad in the Lord. That's the common English translation. Often we use the word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul, of course, throughout Philippians, joy is his theme. Gladness is his theme. And I think he finally here gets to the place where he begins to tell us how this can take place. So again, our question is, how can we live in that place where the peace of God guards us and we live in the abundant life of Jesus? Not that it's true for us, uh, not just that it's true for us, but that also we're, we're enjoying it. Well, part of it is being willing, willing to take the armor of God and stand steadfast. Part of it is being willing to genuinely listen to one another even when we don't agree. And part of it is, is finding a lifestyle where God can fill us with his joy, with his gladness. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised when Paul not only says it once, he said, be glad in the Lord always. He says, I say it again, be glad or rejoice. 
And then he goes on to talk about more than anything else how this takes place. He talks about how we should pray. He said, pray in every situation with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. So the joy translates into thanksgiving in terms of the way we're bringing our requests to God. If you're like me, if I'm really concerned about something, when I bring it to God, it's far easier for me to focus on the concern than it is to focus on what has God has already done and which produces faith to believe that he can do more in the future. So pray with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he also tells us what we should focus on. He said, now, you know, as you're living your life, focus on what's excellent, what's admirable, the things that are true, the things that are holy, the things that are just, all that's pure, all that's lovely, all that's worthy of praise. Those are where we put our mind. Now, to do that all the time, probably for most of us, is nearly impossible. But if that's the focus, if we train our minds that that's the focus of our life, then joy comes more easily to us and a sense of God's peace at the same time. And then he goes on to tell us how we are to act. He said, and uh, whatever you've received or saw or heard in me, follow those things. So the things we know to do, to do those things. Paul wants these um, Philippian Christians to know every day this peace of God that can surround them on every side. He knows it's possible, but he also knows, I would think from personal experience, that that doesn't happen automatically. It happens because you have a lifestyle of, of standing against the evil one. You have a lifestyle of looking for ways to hear other people and agree in the body of Christ especially, and because you focus on the things that produce joy. Some of you remember uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie. Uh, he uh, concluded his career as chaplain of the U.S. Senate. So Ogilvie um, tells the story of a gentleman coming to his study. Uh, and the gentleman came in, and as they talked for a few minutes, somebody who had been in church, I think some, but maybe not a whole lot, he said to his pastor, he said, Pastor, I want what my wife has discovered. And Ogilvy says, well, well, what has your wife discovered? Well, he says, I don't know. But this I know, she became part of a small group of ladies in the church. And you know, she was one of the most difficult people I can imagine to live with. She was argumentative. She was unhappy in life. She was always criticizing the kids. In fact, it was so serious that I wasn't sure I could continue in the relationship. I wasn't sure it was safe for my children to continue in the relationship. But she said she became part of a, a group of ladies in the church who get together regularly uh, to do Bible study and to share together. And something happened there. Her disposition changed. And as Ogilvy discovered afterwards, 
in that small group, his wife discovered Jesus. That there's a reality of what God and forgiveness of sin can happen in her life. She discovered Jesus and her disposition changed. Um, you also wouldn't be surprised that uh, before her husband left Ogilvy's office, he also had discovered what had changed really the way his wife lived. Living in this peace of God transforms wherever we are. It's not just for our safety. It's, it is that life abundant which God has promised to us that is what changes the way we look at life, the way we react to other people, and what makes it possible for Jesus to be seen in us. May this be true for you this week, that the peace of God, which exceeds all human understanding, will keep you safe, will guard you in the knowledge and love of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for this reality. We know it's true whether or not we fully experience it, whether we take advantage of it. But for the people with whom we live, for the jobs you've called us to do, for our families um, nearby or far away, teach us more how to live in that wholeness, that peace that only you can give. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.